0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the TeacherCast Educational Broadcasting Network. My name is Jeff Bradbury. Thank you so much for joining us today and making TeacherCast your home for professional development. There's a lot of great things that are happening as many of us are heading in towards the second marking period, nine weeks in, 10 weeks in, 11 weeks in. You're probably sitting there going, what can we be doing to help out our kids? What are some of the things that we can be doing to not only inspire our kids to greatness, but help set them up for their futures that is the topic of our show today. We have a fantastic guest on the show today going to be talking not only just about what is going on in the world of education, but what are some of the things that are happening outside of the world of education and how can we help prepare our students for not only our futures, but their futures. I want to bring on Ted Smith. Uh, Ted, how are you today? Welcome to the TeacherCast podcast.
1: I'm great, and I'm thrilled to be here.
0: Thank you so much for joining us. Now, you are uh, a man of many hats. Um, most notably, you are the man behind a video called Most Likely to Succeed. We're going to talk all about that. But basically, you seem to be on a mission to help parents become aware of what is happening in the classroom and how can we get our students to learn about the things that are going to set our stu- set them up for success Outside of the classroom. Am I, am I basically on the right track for that?
1: You are, but I'd also add I feel like one of the things I can help with is to uh, free up teachers, give them the support and the permission to innovate. You know, as I travel, I find teachers are far more innovative than people give them credit for. And so I love to meet with, for instance, state legislators to deliver a message that they're not letting teachers make the most of classroom time and they need to be more supportive.
0: Well, let's kind of get into all of that stuff. We have a system right now in our education that started back in the late 1800s, right? And they came up with a way to groom our young people for a system that was transforming from agriculture into more of a, uh, what did you call it, like a Henry Ford system where everybody kind of had to do the same thing. And that worked up into a point What happened? Why did that suddenly fail?
1: Well, it was was the perfect model for most of the last century. But I think if you start to look at, you know, 1960s, it started to change a little. But even in the 60s and a lot of the 70s, you replaced people putting widgets into slots on an an assembly line with people that just shuffled paper at a great big bureaucratic organization like an AT&T. Well, those jobs are flat. They're now declining. And I think the changes really started to come into play. You, you could look at 1983 when a nation at risk said that if a foreign country had imposed on us our education system, we declared an act of war. You know, that's a pretty bold statement. So I think for decades, three, four decades, we realized something's wrong. But what we decided to do is to double down on an obsolete model instead of reimagine it. And And the metaphor I use is. Our school was invented at the time of, our school model goes back to the time of the covered wagons. What we're trying to do is speed up the covered wagons by beating the mules harder and measuring the wagon speed more frequently. Guess what? It's still a covered wagon.
0: Well, the covered wagon still exists today, but it just runs at the speed of light. And the covered wagon happens to be in our pocket. And we can access that covered wagon every second of every single day in every single language all at the same time. I mean, shouldn't we be teaching kids the way that we're teaching them now? I mean, we're always going to professional development and learning ways to reinvent the, the. is it a broken wheel here?
1: Well, I, I think it's an obsolete wheel. And I think that we can do things quite differently and better. I mean, I traveled during the 2015 and 16 school year. I went to all 50 states in one school year. It was you know from Monday morning at 7.30 a.m. till often Saturday at lunch, every hour booked. And I just saw so many really great things that were going on in classrooms, but they're sort of everywhere and nowhere. You know, they, they, you, you see them, they're there and they're great, but most kids are in school, you know, studying stuff they have no interest in, they're not gonna retain and even if they do, they're never gonna use it. And so you look at that difference and you see that these aren't slight differences in outcomes for kids, it is dramatic. And if we do this right, if we let kids run with their passions and learn things that actually matter later in life, they will be launched and off and running. Instead, we're basically teeing them up to to kind of in an inferior way replicate what that smartphone can do already. So they're memorizing content, they're replicating low-level procedures, and they're following instructions. That is exactly what automated solutions do really well.
0: Well, let's say that we were to start over and we were to build the perfect system. I'm going to ask the question that every superintendent out there asks – uh, is it a tablet or a laptop that we need to make the system happen, Ted?
1: <laughs> well, you know, the, 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 I'd actually say the perfect system, I, I'm, I wouldn't, I think we need to be more supportive of all schools being different in their own ways instead of all schools being the same. And so that's the first thing I'd say. We need to be trusting teachers in the classroom more, understanding and relating to and developing the things that these kids are inherently interested in and good at, it, instead of telling all kids, you know, that's the irony of education in America. We make sure every kid memorizes and forgets the same material at the same time when we know they're never gonna use it. Right. And so, you know, technology is such an interesting topic, but I th- I'd start with the fact that when I, when I go to a school and they've got tablets and kids are doing electronic flashcards instead of uh, paper flashcards, I say wait a minute, you're not thinking about this the right way. I mean, technology lets you create, invent, and design, but it also should free us of things that you can just readily look up.
0: Right. And and a lot of students, I'll say a lot of teachers haven't really gotten in past the S in the SAMR model. Again, you know, they're using a $1000 pencil. Yes, I can make a paper a paper note or i can make a, a you know a, a google doc note or something like that you're not transforming the way things are you're just doing it with a little bit of an extra electricity to it. How do we do this? Is the answer professional development? Is the answer government intervention? And let's try to blow up the system and start all over again. Is the answer, let's reinvent the park test again. What What is the best solution after all the research that you've done? Um, if you had the mighty hammer, what would you do?
1: If, if I had the mighty hammer, things would be dramatically different. And I'd say, what have we done for three decades, right? We've had... A model that's sort of top-down central planning. It looks more like the Soviet Union, and it's been basically top down with bad ideas. You know, And we call that education policy in America. And it's failed, and we know it's failed. We've said our goal is to get test scores up and they stay flat. Our goal is to close the achievement gap that doesn't close. Something is deeply wrong. So I look at it very differently and it reflects my background in venture capital and innovation, which is what would be an innovation model applied to, to education? What would happen if we trusted and empowered those in the classroom to make decisions about what their kids want to learn about, what their teachers are really gifted at teaching? And, and don't obsess about whether all kids are doing the same exact thing. Support and let them run with the stuff they're really motivated to learn. and. and what I find, I mean, Jeff, this is one, one observation over. I mean, when I traveled for that year, I had 1,000 meetings. I visited 200 schools. Over and over, adults, whether it's a teacher or parent, would tell me, kind of like the same tone you might use if it might, you might be saying it's going to rain tomorrow, they'd say, you know, any kid these days that gets interested in something could become an expert in a matter of days. And, and so the question back is, does not that have profound ramifications for way, the way we organize a learning experience? Should we be finding things that kids get excited about, you know, sparking their interest? Or should we be, you know, piling on the worksheets? And where it's particularly difficult and challenging, right, is that the kids, I'm a huge believer and I fight really hard for the kids that grow up in low income circumstances. You know, my family, we we had very little money, so I'm I am that kid. Those kids, give them something they're interested in, they will blow you away. But what do we do? oh, they're not testing that well in first grade. Let's just give them more worksheets, more test prep, more worksheets, more test prep. They're bored. They hate it. They're not getting better. More worksheets, more test prep. Before you know it, they've dropped out in eighth grade.
0: It's an interesting... uh, What is the word? Is it conundrum that we're in here? Of What do you do? How do you do this? Right now, we use standardized tests to basically make sure everybody has the same skills. But should somebody growing up in Philadelphia have the same skill set as somebody growing up in the middle of Wyoming. They're going to be living completely different lives. They're going to need completely different skills. Maybe their science classes involve different things. Now, clearly, this isn't the 1800s. People in Wyoming can fly to anywhere that they want to. But the people in the communities in both of those places have different needs. I, I'm drawing a blank on what, what the political conversation was just a few years ago, but it was, the, it was somebody it was doing a thing on gun safety, and they're mentioning, well, should we be teaching kids how to shoot because there's bears in our backyard? or I, What was that? But you well, know what I'm getting B- at? Betsy DeVos. That was Betsy, right? So, so should we be having standardized testing on the same stuff if, again, the people out there in Wyoming, West Virginia, are going to have completely different needs than where we are here in New York City.
1: Great points. I mean, in my book, I Visited Wyoming, I write about, specifically in Wyoming's case, it's the only state in the country that puts a major priority on military-ready. Oh, It's a value that's core to them and that community and that, that culture that you wouldn't find in a lot of other places in the country. And the point I make is, shouldn't we respect that? But I mean, if this is important to those kids and those families, wh- wh- why should we take issue with that? And, you know, because fundamentally people want great things for their kids. I mean, when you think about trusting the people locally, nobody's going to say, I want my kid to be criminal ready or, you know, drug addiction ready. I mean, they, they have aspirations for their kids. The problem is, and I, and I use the phrase, when standardized walks in the front door of the school, learning walks out the back. And- because when you standardize you need every kid to study the same exact thing and when you say every kid has to study the same exact thing that means that very few of those kids are going to find it interesting and so you know we go after in the film AP US history which a lot of places think is the pinnacle of history but when i interview high school kids who have taken that course and say what did you learn in the course the predominant answer i get is i never want to take another course on history <laughs> and, but you look at it it goes 1491 to the present day yes Two days on the Civil War, two days on World War II, less than a day on the Vietnam War. And you, and you say, how could you get anything out of two days on the Civil War? And then, then I always encourage my audiences to Google Texas Tech Civil War. And it's this journalist that goes to a bunch of students at a college we've all heard of, who are articulate students, and asks them, who won the Civil War? They don't know. You know, So we cover it, sure. Did they learn it? No. And, and so you say, well, well what? What price are we paying for this insistence on standardization? And I think the price is enormous.
0: You know, it's, it's, it's interesting, and I, I, I love listening to you talk about this stuff. I'm reminded of something, you know, I I, I have this philosophy, and, and I was even telling kids today, like, I, I walked into a ninth grade class, and, and the idea was, help them get Make better looking Google Slides, right? Like the the kids did a project that didn't work well. The teacher brought me in and said, "Show some, show them all some tricks." And the reason why their projects weren't doing well was because the kids were doing homework for a ninth grade project. And I walked in, I grabbed them all together, we sat down, and you know I was trying to get onto their level. And you know I'm I'm a cool guy, right? And I said. Don't look at this as a ninth grade project. We're all going to go to college or we're going to go out in the workforce or we're, we're going to make a portfolio. Like, this is training for those real world applications. And and I, I talk to teachers about this a lot and they kind of look at me like I'm funny and I'm kind of afraid to approach administrators with this concept. But our kids are in front of us for 13 years and we only have one job as educators. And that job is to get kids to answer the question, tell me about yourself. Because if they can't do that, then they're not going to get to the second question on a job interview. And yeah. so my, my example is I was a music teacher for 15 years. I always made my kids stand up and play the violin and play, you know, play their violin scales every week, play their violin scales in front of everybody. And I always said, it's not about how well you play your scales. It's about can you stand up in front of your peers and present yourself, good or bad? Doesn't matter. And, you know, or you're an English teacher and you might say, stand up and recite a Shakespeare poem. And it doesn't matter how good or bad you are. It's you're preparing yourself to stand up in front of a crowd of your peers and be vulnerable And if you can't stand in front of somebody and answer the question, tell me about yourself, it's going to be difficult to get employed. And I kind of look at it as we have 13 years to get each and every one of these kids either employed in college, which is still kind of employed. But we only have one job, which is to get the kids to be comfortable in their own skin.
1: Yeah. And and, what, what I think we do, and I see this over and over is, is we, systematically hollow out the purpose from these kids. You know, we tell them year in and year out how they're not proficient. In most cases, we tell them do this because it's required, do this because you want a good college resume, do this because it's on the state standardized test, do this, do this, do this for all sorts of reasons that have nothing to do with the, the individual child's interest and nothing to do with making their world better. And and then we give them this graduation speech where we say you've now gotten this great education, go out and make the world better. And we think they'll listen to that, but they don't. And then they they just jump through the next set of hoops. So most kids will apply to a college because that's the obvious next thing out of high school. They generally have very little idea why they're doing it. They'll often drop out. They'll leave with debt. You know, we're setting them up to fail every which way from Sunday. And and it sounds bleak, and I know it sounds bleak. But then when I say here, just contrast what you see, and I want to, I, I get very specific in a second, but contrast what I just described with high school kids with what you see in a four-year-old. We mm-hmm. just saw two of your four-year-olds. Those kids are bold. They ask a million questions. Yep. They're curious. They're joyful. They learn at a million miles an hour. And it's like, if we just kept it that way, yep. these yep. kids would be perfectly suited for a world of innovation. We just didn't crush this out of them, but we do. And we do it because we want to precisely measure their performance on stuff they don't care about that gives them no advantage in life later on. And I just say we have to do way better than that.
0: Well, well, there's two things I think. Number one, you're absolutely true. We put limitations on people, and I'm not sure where the chicken and the egg are. Obviously, as you get older, you start to become more self-aware. And you know, I, I'm I'm thinking right now back to all the training that I've had as a conductor. And if you look at a, a toddler, brand new kid popping out, he's moving all over the place, and he can move his body, and there's no problem, and he can go reach for a ball, and his whole body movement moves but if you're a 30 year old and you reach for a ball you just take your arm you put it out and then you lean and you like all of like the whole body weight thing just doesn't work and and you know now you say stand up in front of an orchestra and wave your hands emotionally and it we we put up a wall whereas yeah my 4 year olds couldn't care less and they're go to, they will go to the mall in one of the play areas and they'll just have a good time and they don't care that everyone's watching them at what point do we do that? Isn't it, you know, There's always that one event that happens to us that automatically has us make a left turn or somebody says something or we snap or there's always something that affects every every single one of us. There's always that moment yeah. that we can trace it uh, back there, to.
1: There's, there's, there on the bad and the good. Yes. So, so let me talk about both of those. But on the bad, I think that kids at different points, but generally somewhere between third and fifth grade, when we decide we want to get serious about learning, kids find it really boring then you play out what happens in the the well-off families the well-educated families i promise you the parents will down on kids even fourth graders and they'll say you got to get good grades if you don't get good grades you won't get into the right college if you don't get into the right college you won't have a good life and if that doesn't work they'll say i'll buy you a new iphone and if that doesn't work in high school they'll buy you a bmw they go all in to get their kids through boring, irrelevant you know, curriculum that when the kid asks when i ever going to use it, our truthful answer is you're not. Different kid in a poorer community, maybe one parent at home working two jobs, when they find it boring, nobody's there to buck it up. Nobody's there to fortify that. And so they then get bad scores. We give them more test sheets, you know, worksheets and more testing and blah, blah, blah. And that's exactly how it plays out. And there are no winners in that. I mean, the kids that have been micromanaged every step of the way by their parents, you know, they're not happy. They're not fulfilled. They, they, they've, you know, when they get to college. They've got the mental health issues are rampant. The, uh, you know, the example I was going to use before. I do a lot in North Dakota, so visualize this contrast. Second grade teacher, amazing teacher there, gives all of her kids a day a week to work on whatever they want. She calls it genius time. But her criteria is you can learn about whatever you're interested in, but you got to teach your classmates about it, which is arguably the most authentic way to assess somebody's learning. Teacher in high school in Minot hears about this, tells his juniors in, a, you know, English class, he says to his juniors, one day a week you can work on whatever you're interested in. He said half his kids did a Google search, what should I be interested in? And, you know, when I tell that to audiences, they laugh, but then that laughter turns into sort of a dead silence because people realize, oh my gosh, this is what we're doing to our kids. Yeah. and And, you know, like, to what end, right? To what end? I mean, it just can't be enough of an answer to say that some bureaucrat is getting precise data, data on how poorly we're doing on standardized test scores or that, you know, some college admissions officer is too lazy to spend 14 minutes evaluating an authentic portfolio of work instead of 7 minutes, seven minutes looking at test scores. I mean, these are really particularly bad answers for propagating a model that just makes no sense in 2017.
0: So, one of the other things that I get a chance to do is I get a ch- you know again I, I see every classroom every teacher all the students of grade levels and and often you ask yourself the question are they preparing for a test or are they preparing for life you actually sat down and did an exercise where you made two columns of what is needed and what is being taught tell us a little bit about that that exercise
1: yeah and I described this in my TEDx talk uh, that I did in Fargo back to North Dakota but um you know, I, I I got this thing from my school, the middle school my kids were in. It said, we've got a new program to teach your kid important life skills. Got me thinking, like, well, isn't that what school should be all about, is preparing kids for life? And so I, I did make that list. I said, I'm going to start paying close attention to what they're doing, and I'll have two columns. What's helpful, what will help to prepare them for life, what will be beneficial, and what's irrelevant. And, and as I started really tracking what they were doing, almost everything was falling in the irrelevant category. Try as I might, I couldn't get anything in the helpful category. But I started to have to add things to the harmful category. And there are. There, you know, don't try something bold. Don't try a different answer. Don't risk controversy. Don't don't dare try anything that might fail. A whole bunch of things that I just said, if my kid takes this seriously, if they go by these ground rules, by the time they're a st- junior in high school, they're going to be risk averse. They're going to be so cautious about things. They'll never do the things I feel they need to do if they want to change the world, if they want to be happy, fulfilled adults, and particularly in the world of innovation, if they want to be employed. Um, and so when I saw that, that really was transformational. That's why I said I got to do something about this, which completely turned my life upside down, but that's when it happened.
0: So let's talk about what you did there. You created or you funded, am I right about this? You funded a film, that has been seen worldwide, and it is called?
1: The film is most likely to succeed. Um, As I thought about what I could do to make a difference, I felt the only way you get change to happen is if it's emotional as well as logical, and film can do that, a book rarely or uh, maybe never can, certainly not if it's not fiction. And I also felt like you can't change a school unless you bring people together. And so I did a six-month search. I found this amazing director, Greg Whiteley, you know, we filmed for two years. We, you know, it was a long complicated process to produce a great film. I mean, Sundance, Tribeca, AFI. um, We kind of ran the table. We did Montvale there. Um, So we did 28 major film festivals. We've done 4,000 community screenings around the world. Anybody interested can go to the URL is www.mltsfilm.org, but you can just Google most likely to succeed documentary. And it's being used, You know, people see it and they love it, and it energizes a community, right? You, it's so difficult to make change in the school if everybody's grumpy or resistant. Once a bunch of the adults in a school and students, we love it if they're there, watch this film, they get very excited. And it's sort of the anti-Waiting for Superman. I hated that film. It was, It just vilified teachers in a way I thought was totally unfair. And so I wanted a film that was inspiring and aspirational. And that's what my team pulled off. And so I'll give you an example right there. It's, uh, Ross Kasin in Freehold Township won New Jersey Superintendent of the Year Award. I was there in May when he was, got the award presented to him. The press release talks about most likely to succeed. He's seen the film 20 times. He's had his entire school board see it. He's had faculty principals have seen it. Parents have seen it. And that entire school district has been top to bottom transformed in three years. It can be done. There's a lot more innovation out there, and once people rally around and support the innovative teachers, they will blow you away.
0: If anybody out there listening to the show wants to see it, what can they do? Uh,
1: so right now, and I'm the yoger, and so I get I get bricks thrown at me from time to time. It's not on iTunes. I turn down Netflix. Um, you know, if you go, there's a host of screening option. You can I I give all of this money away, so I'm not doing any. I'm losing. I make a fair amount of donations each year, so this is definitely not a money-making thing. I always apologize, but I have this education distributor, Tug T U G G. A school can buy the DVD for like ninety-five bucks and use it as many times as they want. So it's about as dirt cheap as you can get. You know, if your listeners have a budget issue, just email me or find me on Twitter. I'm at Smith and I'm T Dentersmith at gmail.com. And I I just give it away. You know, if somebody really can't afford it, I just I I don't want anybody not to see it for budget reasons. Um, At some point, we'll make it more on a pay-per-view basis, but I really feel its power is when people come together, see it, and then discuss it. And the film is not prescriptive. It doesn't say you need to do X. It just shows kids doing learning in a very different setting. They're working collaboratively on a stretch project. They're blending disciplines. They're motivated and energized. And the teachers get the support and latitude to teach to their passions. And that's what we want. We want people's eyes to be opened up to there are different ways to organize school and there may actually be a way better way to think about it.
0: I, I strongly recommend anybody checking this video out, reaching out to Ted here and, and taking a look. Obviously, it's gotten some great reviews. Obviously, it's been seen in all 50 states. Um, you know, I, I it just seems like it's one of those just. Just take a look and and see where we can go. Um, Ted, where do people find more information about you, and how do they get a hold of you? Uh,
1: I just gave my email address. Um, my website is uh, www.edu21c.com. That's got all sorts of things. I PBS Hawaii just did a thirty minute special on me, so if you Google Dinter Smith, long story short, PBS Hawaii, that's got a segment on me and what I'm doing and. You know, we've had 400 community screenings of the film in Hawaii alone. And, you know, I'm really trying to make the film available. And we've had this thing now called an innovation playlist that is sort of agile, simple, small steps. We call them hacks that a school can take to start bringing a culture of innovation and progress to itself. Um, And so I've got offerings at the school level and then I'm working at the state level. Right now, I really focus on North Dakota, you know, with complete support from the governor to... Superintendent of Public Instruction, both houses of the legislature, teachers' union, Chamber of Commerce, PTA. You know, because when people rally around and say, darn it all, we're going to do it, it's too important for our kids, we can do this. I mean, our, our nation, our, our society is capable of doing great things if we just decide we're going to do it. And if we keep pissing, if we keep messing around, sorry about that, um, and, and, and have this infighting over all sorts of irrelevant things. If we say our, our goal of success, our definition of success is a two percentage point increase on 12th grade NAEP scores or something, I, you know, like, come on. I mean, that is such an underwhelming definition of success. And and yet I see it. I see these places that are taking seriously their mission of launching kids into lives of purpose, launching kids into adulthood with the decisive skills that they really love doing and they're better than other people at. And whether they go to college or not, they're off and running in life. I mean, if we could do that, you know, it, are we gonna not do that because we don't we're not able to precisely measure great lives and great outcomes? You no, know, because actually, and this is one thing I really emphasize, is in the twenty first century in an innovation economy, if it can be precisely measured, it will not get you ahead relative to automation. I mean, kids need to be great at things that are, have a an element of creativity or a character trait that's just outstanding. We need to reinforce the things that really will get them ahead in life.
0: I, I couldn't say it better or more. I mean, I, I, you and I were talking about this before the show started. Everything that you're saying, I, I completely am right there with you of let's figure out where we can go with the kids in the classroom and out of the classroom and... It, it, it's, a, it's a topic that has to happen. It's a topic that, you know, I, I can easily say in many cultures, uh, you know, cultures, it's a conversation that has to start, but you know, it's been started. It's been talked about. The movie's been made. Check everything out here. Um, you know, the, the again, the movie is called Most Likely to Succeed. Check out everything there. You can, of course, find them on Twitter at MLTSFilm or go to Facebook f- Facebook.com slash MLTSFilm. Ted, Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day and joining us. Please come on anytime and uh, you know maybe next time you come on, bring some friends with you. We'll have a discussion on on any of these topics. We'll do a little roundtable here, and I, I would love to continue this conversation with you.
1: Awesome! And one other plug: I've got a book coming out in April, but it's you can pre order it now on Amazon. So anybody who listens that thinks I make some level of sense, it's called What School Could Be. And uh, if you just Google Amazon, Dintersmith, what school could be, it's there. And, uh, you know, I just, based on traveling to all 50 states, I profile and highlight the most amazing things I saw that just, you know, the subtitle is Insights and Inspiration from Teachers Across America. And I feel like it's important for somebody with a business background to actually recognize and appreciate the great work that's being done in classrooms, because honestly, I'm always not, almost always quite disappointed when business people weigh in and just apply things in a naive way and think they can tell teachers what to do. I'm taking a very different approach. I'm trying to find, meet and highlight the great work that's going on and just say, why the heck aren't we trusting teachers in the classroom and, and sort of letting these sparks turn into bonfires?
0: So, you heard it here first. Ted's coming back on the show in the springtime. And we look forward to reading that book and checking out everything. Ted, thank you so much uh, for your time today.
1: Excellent. Thanks for all you're doing. It's awesome.
0: And, of course, we want to say thank you out there to everybody who's listening to this show and enjoying everything on the TeacherCast Educational Broadcasting Network. Of course, we want to invite you every Tuesday night. We are here live on TeacherCast.tv to our live show, the Tech Educator Podcast, 8 to 9 o'clock Eastern. There's, of course, several great ways that you can reach out and be a part of this and all of our shows. You can find us on Twitter at TeacherCast. Leave us a voicemail over at TeacherCast.net slash voicemail. Email us at feedback at teachercast.net. And please take a moment this holiday season and subscribe to our audio and video shows over at teachercast.net slash audio and teachercast.net slash video. One more time, we want to thank Ted for coming on and thank you guys out there for listening. On behalf of everybody on the TeacherCast Educational Broadcasting Network, keep up the great work in your classrooms and continue sharing your passions with your students.